Hello and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 97. This episode is going to be a deep dive into the discography of the Czech Republic place black metal band Cult of Fire. After episode um, 96 being such a kind of mammoth one where I didn't get time to uh, focus on anything in particularly great depth, I thought I'd do an episode where I take a band who are quite modern, like these guys have only been going since 2010 and have a limited number of albums, and go through their discography and that of associated bands in in a bit more depth. Now, one of the things that has always really drawn me to Cult of Fire is their amazing drum work. Uh, drummer Thomas Korn is truly brilliant and it always like a fascinating presence on whatever um whatever he's playing so i want to talk about one of the first albums um he was involved with that um that i sort of came across in the research for this so this is going back all the way to 1997 with his band garbage disposal and their one and only album uh union carbicide they've also had like a couple of splits and an ep before this but uh i've only i'm only familiar with the the full length so this album features thomas at like he's still in his teens so this is a far cry from what he'll be doing later and um basically as the the name um implies like you can probably guess the sound of this band it is a pretty perfect name for um for this kind of brand of of very kind of gnarly sounding death metal um there's some certain unique this this i think what what's kind of makes garbage disposal um a kind of stand-up band is the kind of extreme focus on drums and bass where like guitars and vocals really um take a back seat to the, their incredibly impressive rhythm section like the album even starts with like kind of there's like a feeding back guitar and the first riff of the album is just bass and drums and then we get into the more kind of um yeah, more obviously death metal riffing and that like bass tone is is something that just i couldn't get my head around initially it's it's this like kind of very kind of twangy but like quite low um almost completely clean but with like a ton of like, i believe chorus on it it's like this really strange kind of sound it's just not what you expect from this kind of band um whereas thomas's drumming if you're familiar with his work if like his later black metal stuff this is completely different it's got that ultra tight like pingy snare um and like the the album sort of does a lot of those like early napalm death style like really vicious like grind blasts like the the sort of just and quick sections of it going back and forth between the riffs like they'll just drop into a really blasting section then back to a more um to a more groovy riff i would say union carbicide sits in the more kind of brutal death metal camp especially for like the time period it came out in 1997 um it's not full-on like slam or anything like that but the the vocals are a kind of a consistent indecipherable like bullfrog low um the riffing is is incredibly technical and very kind of occasionally delves into like shredding passages but it like never touches on anything particularly melodic i wouldn't say it gets full into like the kind of slams or anything like that there's no there's not really an obvious suffocation influence but it does have that ever present like really pingy snare that when it goes into the like, the blast like does have that kind of early brutal death intensity the the album is really good fun and like full of brilliant riffs and they're kind of a lot of like cool changes in tempo that, that kind of make it sort of 
quite engaging for its whole half hour runtime. Particularly, like a lot of the the best of this is shown off in a track like Euthanasia with its like really frantic like technical riffing that still maintains like a real cool sense of groove and then going into like a real brutal section in the middle that song though does bring up like the one thing that's not great about this album is the vocals are fairly pedestrian and i think a lot of that's down to the fact frank the vocalist is also playing guitar so over these really complex sections he is able to do both which is is incredibly cool, but it does mean his vocal delivery is very straightforward, and it's almost like, I don't know, I'd like something a bit more technical that could almost match the riffing. It's a minor criticism, I very much like the noise he makes, it's just, yeah, some extra vocals would be cool, like even just like a secondary backup vocals, I think could have could have made all the difference on this. But still, the like Garbage Disposal's Union Carbicide is an amazing kind of artifact of that late 90s kind of early delving into the brutal scene and particularly hearing something where tonally it sounds so incredibly different having that hugely dominant bass as they like check out a track like euthanasia like the bass player is sort of running rings around the guitar work doing these all these really complex interesting fills like almost like the kind of like alex webster thing where you know when he has those occasional riffs where he's doing something really hard to follow under the kind of cool groovy guitar work and yeah thomas's corns like drum performance is it's just really interesting on this like constantly changing things up and never sticking with anything simple and it's so particularly um engaging thinking how much this differs from what he would do later in his career now, regular listeners of the podcast will realise I've somewhat hamstrung myself here by um, focusing on Thomas's career because the next big thing he'll go on to do is join briefly before they split up Appalling Spawn, who would then sort of go on to form the the legendary like Aether of Flame for their one album, Eleventhris. Um But I spent ages last episode talking about that album, so I can't do it again. If you missed that episode or want to hear us discussing it in depth, um, there's a much older episode where me and Rob um, go over Elevenfris as well. But yeah, I think I've given that album too much attention on this podcast as it stands. But just to say, yes, yeah, so at this point in his career, was doing some very interesting stuff in the realm of brutal death metal, like taking things much to the next level beyond uh, Garbage Disposal, who I think broke up not long before that. Or and at least he left them by the time they were putting out their kind of like ninety nine split. So in the intervening years, he's involved in a few projects, um, mainly kind of more brutal death metal stuff. Gonna skip over that because like I wasn't hugely into any of those albums. Nothing terrible by any means, but um, I want to stick with the kind of the really legendary stuff. So the next major event um, in his career is he would play guest drums, and I think he was involved in the band as a live drummer. Uh, for Maniac Butcher's final album, uh, Massacre, which also featured on guitar, and I think this is the only briefly with the band, uh, Vladimir Pavlika, who would also go on to play guitar in Cult of Fire, and like about, I think, forming at basically this same time. So for those who aren't familiar, uh, Maniac Butcher, I think they're, they're probably like the most famous Czech Republic um black metal band kind of legendary for like the really bad album covers of their early stuff like uh their first album barbarians particularly has a a very famous very silly cover well worth looking up but actually really brilliant band if you can look past the kind of um 
the the ridiculousness by today's standards of um, of their imagery. So beyond knowing a couple of albums, I'm not really hugely familiar with Maniac Butcher, but I believe this album was a kind of reformation of sorts, like a comeback after a, a, after about ten years off. But these guys have a fairly dense discography of if you're into the kind of uh, more brutal end of of kind of second wave black metal there's you know a little bit of like older immortal to their sound but their songs mainly are kind of that like kind of quite well recorded furious um drumming over like really fast tremolo riffs and just like kind of very very fuzzy but like full guitar sound it's it's incredibly kind of traditional fare but i think maniac butchers certainly have a have a kind of notable flair to them, and this album is is is, is a really strong release for them, and actually a fairly a fairly reasonable start point, I think, to um to getting into the band. I'm not sure how how much purists uh, see this as a departure from their style or not, but yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this album, and it'll be the beginning of me being completely unable to pronounce the majority of the song titles because they're. They don't sing in English. Also, possibly being a touch controversial here, but I think it's their only um, their only decent album cover. I think one of the biggest selling points of this band for me are the uh, like the vocal performance of Bar Bar who like does all this kind of like really all over the place screaming. It's like I don't know. He's he's a very engaging front person. There's a lot of like a lot of sort of different styles going on and all of which pretty kind of nasty and heavy and actually that's the thing that's really decent about this album is it maintains a kind of fair fair level of extremity through the entirety of its half hour runtime there isn't really many departures from that kind of um real angry black and fury they go for <laughs> So that brings us on to the formation of Cult of Fire in 2010. So we have drummer Thomas Korn, um, and then from Maniac Butcher, guitarist uh, Vladimir Pavleka, who um, I think he'd been in a few other things beforehand, like 
uh, as on top of that album, like he'd also performed with the black metal band Slow, who put out an album uh, the same year as that, him playing bass for that. And then the the lineup is rounded out by vocalist Devilish, who um, who previously had played in a couple of bands. Um, I think most notably Dark Storm, who he'd done vocals for two albums. So at this point, like I think the the kind of thing I'm making is we've got a kind of fairly seasoned group of musicians, two guys who were very firmly rooted in the black metal scene, and then Thomas Korn, who is clearly taken a kind of uh, a left turn in his playing like that that Maniac Butcher album was was a great departure from his styles on previous releases and that's going to continue through everything we're we're kind of um we're going to cover here so the first thing the band put out was the EP uh 2011 as in Revelation 2011 so as you can see already on kind of fairly traditional black metal footing of uh going for a, a heavy biblical theme. The the front cover of the album is one of those things that you can only do as a black metal band, which is a band photo as the album cover. Um, it features basically all the black metal tropes. Uh, there is blood, there is corpse paint, bullet belts, knives, skulls, candles, the whole lot. Like, And actually, I, I quite like... Um, I quite like uh, Cult of Fire's look of this era for the kind of over-the-top black metal. Like, it, it does fit with what they're doing, and I, I think it's an aesthetic they they could have kept with, but obviously um, very, very quickly shed this. So the EP, while um, while only kind of uh, two tracks long, it's, it's, it's under 15 minutes runtime, I think is actually... Um, really of note because it's really really good like um the first song it, it sort of does feel like a carry on from what they were doing um with with maniac butcher but it's just got so much more creativity to it so we have um like leading it like is just this combination of very complex drumming, whereas uh, the drumming for Maniac Butcher was more straight blast beats. This is ever varied. There's a lot of blasting, long, uh, like a very far cry from that um, that kind of grind stuff we we're talking about with with garbage disposal. These are far more kind of regimented, very clear. Um, the pingy snare is completely gone to be replaced with everything being like that more kind of fuzz and trebly. And as you may have noticed with this three piece lineup. We don't have a bass player. There is no bass in Cult of Fire. Uh, Vladimir pays all the guitars and, and adds additional um, backing vocals. But I believe... Well, like, they now perform live as a four-piece with with two guitars, drums, and vocals. There is there is no no bass in their sound. I think that was, was an intention from as early as this one. And what they get, which really nice with that, is... Um, as much as I'm a man who loves my bass in music... Um, there, there is something really cool where you can have a very well-recorded, very well-produced black metal album, but make it have some of that harsh, like, like early Dark Throne kind of energy to it. Because there's no bass, the mix is so incredibly trebly. And, um, like, this band sort of have that, that cool thing where the guitars are all in this kind of, like, buzzy, like, higher register, the... So the only kind of low end is the double kicks, and like the vocals are obviously very high as well. So it's it's all this kind of 
like rasping, shrieking kind of thing. The symbols are very loud in the mix, so everything has this air of fuzz around it, for for want of a better term. So hence, kind of somewhat simulating your fuzzy, like bad bedroom recordings. Except it's perfectly captured, so you can hear every little detail of what's going on because you do want to hear that Vladimir puts in some amazing, cool interlocking guitar lines, like these bits where he throws little leads over stuff sound really beautiful. I think in the second track we get a great little uh, tapping melody that comes in. Um, Devilish Shout does himself vocally, so the first half of the first song is is kind of very common fair, that higher-pitched black metal scream, but, he, you know, he's got a, a notable and very good one, but in the second half of that track, it just descends into full-on, like, like actual screaming, and it sounds amazing. It just adds this kind of extra, um, extra kind of, like, harsh atmosphere to it and we have um something that's very much a continuing signature of cult of fire a little bit of keyboards in certain places on this provided um by the guy who played keyboards on like aether flames and ventress so all the elements of cult of fire sound were more or less there on this debut that kind of harsh brutal black metal with a real like sense of great riff writing but moments of melodicism added by the occasional lead guitar or cool kind of like synthy keyboards and then just an incredibly gifted and over-the-top vocal performance like this true like harsh like really kind of um pained like bleak screaming that uh that just sort of fills out their sound very clear very quickly that 2011 was only the precursor a year later they put out their debut full-length album triumvirate and this album you can tell they've really upped things here because the images change once again the um the cover is a band photo but this time they have this very unique i, I guess like spanish inquisition style look of these long flowing red robes and these giant like you know foot and a half tall pointed hats i mean in some ways it's somewhat ridiculous but 
at the time I remember being quite blown away by that look of like, oh, that is a striking black metal cover, especially with them all illuminated from the the frontman reading from a burning Bible. And this would be joined on stage by all sorts of interesting accoutrement. Like that's something that will become more and more of a thing as we go on. Um, but yeah, let's not hang up on the look too long. But it does mean, okay, these guys have started to sh shed like essentially the accepted rules of um, what you do in a more traditional black metal band. Like 2011 felt like a very kind of heavily influenced by the early second wave stuff out um, EP and there isn't too many derivations. Triumvirate immediately uh, has some new ideas. Um, so what's, what grabs you straight away about this release is the guitar tonies absolutely fantastic it's so i don't know what uh vladimir does to create this but it's so full and like all consuming while still having that amazing like trebly attack it is simultaneously like melodic and brutal the drums have once again got more complex and interesting and the, the way they sound this album is is beautiful and at the start of this this first song after kind of like a, a fade in we get all the things you would expect from a, you know albeit a well-written black metal album but then the surprise comes two minutes 30 like into the first song of suddenly there is this layer of real um like 70s kind of classic rock Hammond organ style keys like I don't know whether it is a Hammond organ or if, if, if it's synthesized but um but yeah it's 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 really um it's a real incredible departure from what you're expecting so you have this still black metal riffing but with this kind of it's, it's not just the sound of the keys even the way they're played is like something straight out of like a melodic section on a 70s track it's it's truly excellent and uh devilish is still throwing like interesting vocal ideas in there on top of his kind of great like reverberating rasping screams he throws in these kind of lower spoken word sections i as i say vladimir is also credited with backing vocals but I have literally no ability to tell you which is him and which is the other guy, but for whatever it's worth, the screams sound brilliant on this. So following that keyboard line, we get like into this brilliant melodic section where there's this this massive, like previously unheard lead tone comes in, like like kind of really dominating the mix for a while. And then we get to the second track, and this is kind of, I believe, one of their more kind of legendary songs, Satan Mentor, which is so kind of ritualistic and it it has like that kind of later rotting christ energy of this really feels like a kind of summoning chant some kind of great build where it, there's a simple repeating melody that sort of goes through most of the song like just a couple of notes but that is all over this like ludicrously flast blast beat and then the vocals go back and forth between the kind of more over the top screams and then these kind of very repeating sections yeah it, it's just got that very ritualistic vibe to it which which fits for its kind of overtly uh satanic kind of message 
sadly that brings me to the end of uh, song names of theirs I'm going to be say, able to say for a while so I'm just going to have to go with track numbers but yeah late in the album we get some cool uh, surprises like track 6 has yet another different sort of keyboard style layered over things this time it's far more kind of like church organ effect and then mentioned Satan Mental there's a far more kind of obviously synthy sound like there's lots of playing with that and um the, yeah then this song like we also get like one of the first moments where um vladimir really throws in like a very shreddy guitar solo and then the title track uh triumvirate um has more of a kind of it's the, the satan mentor thing again but this time like an instrumental passage very much like kind of this cool repeating melody over like like really blasting drums but still maintaining like this kind of beautiful melodicism and i think that's that's kind of the core of what coals of fire are really good at of being very kind of over the top like really speed focused black metal that always has a great kind of melodicism to it like kind of it keeps them really memorable. Honestly, taken as a whole, Triumvirate is kind of an exhausting album. It's got a full hour runtime, and it rarely breaks from kind of being this like full pelt extremity. I mean, there are those couple of tracks where we get more melodic asides, but say the final song of the album is eight minutes that just is blasting, and then basically just cuts to black completely all of a sudden, and that that kind of I know, it feels like a very, very good summary of the the feeling from the album. Um, like this kind of extremely surprising but brutal um, piece of work. Like the so, Trumper will you will see as we go on. Like this is very different to what what they'd be doing next. This is kind of an end of an era for them, particularly with this kind of I assume more kind of uh, Catholic religion based. Um, based kind of imagery like that's that's all gonna go and uh, quite a few elements of their sound will change between this and the next one so if this kind of sound appeals to you i highly recommend it i truly think uh triumvirate is, is a masterpiece it is an absolutely excellent modern black metal album and for for a debut for a band it truly spectacular although i guess these guys are kind of all vaguely seasoned pros this is this seems to be the first thing where like uh Vladimir is really leading a project. I, I mean, I get the sense he's he's kind of the the main um, the main driving force behind this, and they they created something that stands uniquely in this genre. Yeah, a real really worth checking out if you've you've never given it time. <laughs>
up to this point, Arosa have been making somewhat of a so faux pas with this um, cult of fire go by stage names. Uh, Thomas actually goes by Thomas Coroner in the band, and Vladimir goes by Infernal Vlad, so I'll be referring to them as such for the rest of this. So, Cult of Fire very quickly followed up their debut album with their second album, the title of which I think translates to Aesthetic Meditation of Death. And it features a gigantic kind of change in, in particularly image for the band. The The cover is a beautiful um, depiction of the Hindu god Kali, the, the blue multi-armed um, uh, god who's, I think, famed for sort of violence in some ways and it's a particularly kind of violent depiction of of this god with like various hands covered in blood holding fire um and sort of sat atop a, a kind of skull it's, it's a really cool cover but it's such a kind of far cry from the two previous ones where we just had the band kind of um but you know in what in their stage garb on the front cover and, and albeit very like well lit cool pictures the other cover is also devoid of of title or logo and this kind of adds to things of um, the, the 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 tracks are all in these Hindu uh, characters. I think um, if you get the Bandcamp version of it, it's got translations for each. But um, it does kind of add a level of of obfuscation to the to the material, or at least for. Um, english-speaking listeners like myself as well with this band i think i've bought everything of theirs through Bandcamp. So i don't have the physical release but at this point they seem to stop really printing their lyrics so that that kind of element of the band is um it's harder to get hold of i don't know whether they are present in the physical release there's certainly but that does lead to an interesting question they've made their lyrics somewhat difficult to get hold of but this is the first album where uh jan pavlas is involved in the band who will be involved in helping lyric write for the next couple of albums or next couple of releases i should say so there's clearly a huge kind of effort gone into the the, the lyrical and, and the visual direction of the band and despite um yeah that not being sort of immediately immediately clear particularly as i say these lyrics are hard to get hold of sound wise the the start the start of the album kind of shows where there's a real um kind of step away from from the kind of core subject matter of the previous album the the intro to the first track um sanha rakakali is mostly sitar and then it's like low throat singing that it takes about sort of a couple of minutes to build into the kind of black metal fury you'd be expecting from these guys and it is an interesting change of direction particularly for a band from czech republic taking on this this hugely like kind of like, particularly indian like folk influence in terms of the subject matter i am fairly ignorant of, of uh hinduism so i won't delve delve in too deeply on any of that because i i would be be long out of my depths but i i can at least say that like aesthetically and it, it it's interesting and it, it certainly sort of fits with the the sound they're going for on these releases but yeah to, to that point like the the core of this is obviously the music and what's nice with this release is there's still some of those sort of classic cult of fire isms there like you you still have that guitar with with no bass the kind of um 
ever-present drumming of Thomas Korn, which is, it's kind of um, takes on a kind of lower sound in this album. The, the, there's more, there's sort of more kicks and toms in the mix and less, like, focus on the cymbals like there was in the previous one. Like, the album has a bit more of a bass rumble to it, which I think works, like, works really well. Thomas, uh, Thomas Coroner, so I should say. Uh, Dull kick work is, is one of his, like, amazing skills. He is... A brilliant like ludicrously fast um like double pedal guy also very very much dedicated to the school of two pedals and two bass drums he he very much frowns upon the use of a single kick drum with two pet uh but i think it's more the using like the double pedal setup rather than having you know the two separate kicks but anyway i'm not i'm not a drummer won't delve into that too much but following him on facebook that does seem to be extremely important to him on top of that the interesting use of keyboards particularly as i say evoking that kind of like 70s prog rock sound is still there but we now have this like kind of uh as i say like kind of indian folk influence coming in like that sitar keeps appearing um tied in melodically with some of the the heavier black metal riffing there'll be moments where there is like a lead melody of of that instrument i can't find anyone sort of credit to playing it so i don't know if it's synthesized or not or if it is infernal vlad doing that as well as um the guitar work also i should state the lineup is exactly the same cult of fires lineup remains more or less this uh unbroken free piece so it's very important i think aesthetically to the band they they always uh recorded as the free piece of the guitarist the drummer and the vocalist always joined by a, a live guitarist who's kind of cycled over the years but yeah like as a, a for a band recording it's always the three of them so it is heart this album is still the furiously blasting black metal you would expect from a group of musicians like this like they they, they are still um playing to their strengths there's even moments say like um the track gruesome dance of death where they have like a real like trad black metal riffing like they probably like first wave moments they'll then sort of get more of the feel of more modern black metal by virtue of the ludicrous drum performance just the general speed of things i mean something bands weren't quite ready to do in the 80s but then say where triumvirate had its ritualistic tracks this one has songs that get um, very meditative, like the the track four, Kalimar, is this really kind of mellow um, piece with, with far more melodic elements that's sort of lots of um, simplistic repeating melodies. It's still got a kind of level of black metal uh, at its core, and uh, that and a few other tracks around it make use of those low kind of almost spoken word um vocals but they're, they're kind of they're delivered in such a way they are, they're quite musical those spoken word parts they they don't feel too at odds to everything else otherwise devilish is still doing his incredible like rasping howl which i, I just really enjoy his vocal delivery um moments of this that might be a bit off-putting to some listeners as you can imagine like taking on that big sort of hindu influence including like the kind of musical side of that Things have got a little bit, uh, <laughs> a little bit hippie in, in a way, and the final track really leans into it. It's this kind of um, quite soft, like six-minute-long outro, mainly focused around the the sitar and the spoken word, and yeah, lots of lots of atmospheric elements. It's very, um, 
it's, it's incredibly mellow for what it is, but um, to cap off an album that's been incredibly brutal in places, um, it it works extremely well. Uh, I I wish I could get hold of the lyrics for this because I think I think they would be really interesting. It seems like the the guys have have gone into great depths, particularly Infernal and uh, so Jan's Pavlov, who I think also goes by Gothmog. Um, yeah, they seem to have put a lot into that side of things, but yeah, I, I just I maybe I need to buy the album to to get hold of that. But yeah, like overall, this is this is really amazing stuff. Like they followed up a debut by really really kind of reinventing their sound. It, it, it isn't a massive departure. This isn't them suddenly moving into prog rock territories. And there's certainly songs that you know if they they had triumphant production, maybe could have fit on the album. Thinking particularly towards the end of the album, there's one track that's got quite a, a layered kind of organ sound over it. That that one might feel more in that vein, but I feel, considering the, the gap in time between these three releases, the fact they, they came out, you know, three years apart, and we've got over two hours of music that's quite varied and extremely inventive black metal, it really shows, like, kind of the level Cult of Fire are operating on. <laughs> Surprisingly, Cold of Fire couldn't quite keep up this incredible pace of releases. So the the next release in the following year, 2014, is is purely a two-track um, instrumental EP. Although in the meantime, uh, Infernal Vlad has gone off and formed the band Death Karma, who have always put out their their debut at this stage. But anyway, focusing on uh, Cold of Fire for the moment, there this EP, Citra uh, Sinophony Oni. That's definitely pronounced wrong, but uh, it's the EP with a picture of like the rotting guy's face on it. Um, it's really cool. It's um, it's it's about ten minutes long, um, but uh, the the first track is like very typically called to fire. Like uh, it's a melodic instrumental blast fest. Like the core of the guitar and drums are this really punishing straight ahead kind of uh, 
black metal track, but then there's this really melodic, like, over-the-top keyboard line over the top of it, which is, yeah, really, really sounds great. Now, after that track, the second one sadly ruins things by having the world's worst water effect. I don't know why, like, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's a real shame, because the first, like, 40 seconds of this song is really weird effect that's meant to sound like running water, but it's just odd. Uh, it's like... I don't know, this is a oblique reference. You ever notice in, like, shows like Futurama when people eat, it doesn't sound like eating, it sounds like, you know, someone's wading through a swamp because actually most eating doesn't really sound like anything. It's kind of like that with water. Um, but otherwise, really cool instrumental track. Um, not quite as exciting as the first one, but, like, that first one has that immense, like, kind of melodic hook to it. So... You know, it, it's very cheap in their band camp, but if you enjoy Cold to Fire, I'd certainly advise uh, hearing this because this is more in that excellent vein. But what I want to focus on briefly is go over to uh, Infernal Vlad's other project because they have just put out a spectacular album following this EP, uh, 2015's History of Death and Burial Rituals Part 1. Um, so the lineup for this is... is uh, Vlad on uh, vocals, guitar, and bass, and then uh, Jörg is credited with drums for it. Who, um, who, among other things, is um, well, was I think for about four years they one of their live guitarists. But he's he's a fairly kind of prolific um, Czech bass drummer. He he's played in a lot of of interesting groups over the years. Um, Thomas Coroner is also credited on this, so with Octavans and Rototom Percussion, so he's he's still involved in this project as well, albeit in different um, in a different role. Although actually, he would become the full time drummer of Death Karma for their next release. So I think the big question with Death Karma is where does it differ it from Cult of Fire in such a way that it you know it needs to be this separate entity? And I've part of that is Vlad is the vocalist for this one. Um, and he has, he doesn't have this kind of, like, his voice isn't the extreme of devilish, he's like, real rasping how he has a lot more kind of, um, full body to his scream, it's more, uh, it's more of an accessible scream, there's a, there's a hint of, like, kind of melodicism to it, um, but he still maintains a great kind of black metal sound, but, uh, I think the other side of it is, Death Karma seem a more obviously experimental band. As much as Cult of Fire have their weird, unique ideas, their arms kind of fall into a pattern. They they have these very defined themes, whereas the six tracks of History of Death and Burial Rituals go for a lot of very different ideas. The opener, Slovakia, Journey of the Soul, is, is more of a kind of um, Cult of Fire-style track, like very blasting heavy like lots of cool kind of organ style keyboards layered over that but then a track like mexico is um absolutely bizarre like it, it is this true kind of experimental weird full of like highly dissonant like rapid fire lead guitar passages searching from side to side over this really complex drum beat and then this kind of vocal like lost in the middle somewhere trying to kind of make sense of all the strangest happening now you may have noticed uh in terms of me talking about this i've mentioned all the titles start with the name of a city and true to the concept of the album or city country but true to the concept of the album each song is about 
a death and burial ritual over various cultures, going through Slovakia, Madagascar, Mexico, there's a Czech Republic one, India, and uh, and China, and the the songs are all lyrically describe these processes, are all being in a kind of um, very poetic form, but it's a return to English lyrics, um, or as I say, a return. It's it's English lyrics, I think, for first time with um, with these guys, and uh, all these kind of elements play into it, feeling like quite a different beast from Cult of Fire. The other side of it is there is some bass guitar in this. If we you listen to the instrumental India Towers of Silence, there is a heavy like bass guitar sound at the start of the song. I'm I'm not sure if it's a synthesizer or if like, oh no, I believe it is Vlad playing it. But that gives it a very different sound to Cult of Fire. That and obviously the different drummer very much takes it um takes it into a different vein. Also, so there's an instrumental track which Basically, historically, every time Cult of Fire did something instrumental, it'd be like kind of a melodic piece of the album. This album, it's it's a kind of another real hefty in-your-face track. Like, like it's, it's a really riffy piece of music and, and another very like heavy one with some weird kind of experimental ideas thrown in there. The final track, China Fools You, you might be getting a melodic outro with its first two minutes, um, but that slowly builds into one of the more like rocking sort of headbanging riffs of the album before yeah like you know breaking out into full black metal fury and like bringing the album to a close it is just a really great piece of black metal that very much stands aside from cold to fire but it's uh it's vlad doing yet another really impressive ingenious project that sounds uniquely him but has its own identity like as much as I enjoy Cult of Fire, I, th- I think Death Karma, especially their best with this album, are easily on a on a par with them. So they they would put out one more follow up. I, I I believe the project's still active, but there there's a second album, um, uh, the History of Death and Burial Rituals Part Two that came out in 2018, which is enjoyable, but I don't think quite holds up to the first one the notable changes as i mentioned before thomas coroner has joined the lineup as as the drummer for the band and if, if you like the first one i'd definitely delve into it but i won't spend any more time on it i think um i would just definitely advise go out and get part one like it is a absolutely brilliant black metal album wow.
So the next few years would see Cult of Fire putting out a few more scattered releases, one of the most notable of which is their um, EP Life, Sex and Death from 2016, which shows a far more kind of contemplative, like almost just melancholy side of the band. Like this this EP features four tracks, um, two more black metal ones in the form of Life and Death, which are very kind of... Um, stripped back versions of, of Culture's Fire sound and as I say like really leaning into these more melancholic lead passages it's still got their kind of trademarks like you know Hammond organy keyboards over the top of it or church organ-esque organ-esque uh, things and then uh, I think Death features some of that uh, sitar-like sound I don't know if it's actually a sitar or not but um uh, like that, that kind of, of of noise, and it's it's the same sort of keyboard player who's been with them for a while. Um, uh, Zednik Sikir, who um, I think he's a particularly like classically trained, like, seems to really have a good grasp of the instrument. But then we get some like weird departures from what they've done before. Uh, Chinana Master Mantra is this three minute long song, which is very much just like folky music. With guests clean and female vocals from uh, Gamit Kar, who like has a beautiful singing voice, but yeah, an, an Indian guest vocalist adding this kind of completely different texture we've never heard before in the band. Um, a really good track, and then um, the the final song, uh, the instrumental tantric sex, just brings the EP to a really cool close. Like it's it's far less brutal than their other stuff. I, I wouldn't describe this as being remotely brutal actually, but the songwriting is still fantastic. There's still a lot of inventive ideas and, and it shows when the band focus on the more kind of melodic elements of their sound, they can still make something really, really engaging. But as a kind of trade off to that, they followed it up with the untitled EP, which is Two songs, ten minutes long, and one of the most furious things they, they've ever put out. It's just really, really fucking heavy. Whereas the mix of life, sex, and death feels very um, very calm. Like everything about it's subdued. This is all the drums are turned up to 11, and it's completely in your face. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's Thomas Coronor is the front and centre thing on this. Like, it's, his drum performance is absolutely wild. He's throwing more fills into the songs than usual. Like, as much as he's very blasting, it's like regular kind of throwing into different beats and grooves. And it's just an incredibly heavy counterpart to um, to the more melodic EP it's, uh, it followed. <laughs> The next release would be the live album Kali Fire Puja, which is, um, I think, recorded in 2017 
in Prague. And um, it's kind of, it's best enjoyed. It's all up on YouTube. It's a really beautifully filmed 50 minute long gig. And yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely spectacular. You get to see Cult of Fire and all the live glory. But there's a brilliant capture of the sound as well. It features a really great range of tracks. Um, Valta and Death off uh, two of the three EPs I previously mentioned. Four tracks in the middle of their second album. And then finishing off a medley of the first and second tracks from their from their debut triumvirate. And, it, you know, it's just a perfect set list for the, uh, for the band. Um... The thing it really shows off as well, which I haven't touched on, is the massive change to their stage imagery that came between um, uh, the the two albums, Triumvirate and um, the second one, whose title I can't say. Um, and I don't know exactly where this kicked in, but it's certainly a theme that sort of have been building for a while. And, you know, at some stage after the release of that second album, this is how the band now looked. They have a ludicrous amount of stuff on stage with them. So the guitarists are all, well, actually the entire band are wearing these vast hooded robes, um, like black robes, these massive hoods adorned with like white and red Hindu imagery with like black masks covering their face. They stand behind these massive tables full of hundreds of lit candles and pictures of um, of Hindu goddesses with great like Hindu sigils uh, up in the background behind them. And they all they all have this incredible sort of robed look to them. And at the front of the stage, Devilish performs uh, in front of his kind of mic stand. I think he's had throughout this of these two crossed scythes. It's just an absolutely spectacular look. Now, somewhat reminiscent of, of Batushka's look, albeit with Hindu imagery, so I think the band will eternally be pissed off that they are regularly credited as being Batushka in photos, but this is a much better look than Batushka and these guys did it first, so so there, Cultifier are definitely better. Um, but yeah, it, it's just testament to how, how they, like, I, I thought their previous like Inquisition-type look was really cool, and this is just taking it up to the next level. And I can only imagine what it's like seeing this kind of thing live. Like, although there's only, you know, 50 to 100 candles on stage, that's quite a thing to be in front of. I remember back in 2011 seeing The Devil's Blood live, you had a similar kind of array of candles across all their amplifiers, and you just get hit by this wave of heat. And I can only imagine what it's like for the band performing in these, these heavy costumes, um... When next to all of that, it's pretty spectacular. But yeah, performance is incredible. The band like have a very static image on stage with the the props and the robes, etc. There's not going to be a lot of uh, live antics. But I think you are provided more than enough to look at that that does not detract at all. And I feel like this is a sound that would translate live because it's so active and involved. So this sort of brings us up to date with the most recent era of the band. The latest thing they put out was uh, two albums. I think they came out on the same day or at least very close to each other of Moshka and Nirvana. Um, it signalled another change of image for the band. Um, I think still sort of continuing in that kind of Hindu um, phase, like they went for something far more colourful than the previous sort of um, 
like the their stage gear while incredible for the previous album very kind of drab lots of like black whites and reds um whereas their new stage gear is the most colorful thing i've ever seen a black metal band wearing um they've like the 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 black robes have been replaced by these long flowing red robes for both the guitarists um and then the singer and uh drummer are wearing these great sort of purple things with like gold headdresses the two guitarists wearing crowns and then these kind of like black death masks Tom's coroner herself is wearing a sort of like pointed gold hat with these huge hanging things and then um the front man is wearing this sort of great hood with these huge horns and a crown of skulls above it like and then the the great like sort of multi-armed hindu multi-headed like hindu imagery on it on the chest and then to to add like insanity to it the two guitarists sat on these giant snakes they spend the whole set sat cross-legged um across these huge snake-like chairs with uh skulls at their feet and then there's banners of of different colored strips behind them it's a it is a spectacular image so this sort of brings me to a thing i was thinking about of um imagery in black metal like because it's been a huge part of the discussion of cult of fire um it's kind of what i really like about black metal and where i enjoy it on quite a different level to say something like death metal that i talk about a lot with death metal at the core of it if you have brilliant riffs you don't really need anything else like your production can be fairly rudimentary your lyrics can be absolute nonsense and your like artwork and stage imagery does not have to be anything special you can still be a very successful death metal band on just that alone that's not true of black metal i don't think i can't maybe there's a good example of this and please send it to me if you can you can think of one a band where really they haven't put much thought into any of those elements like although black metal often derivative like the, the satanic stuff is, is normally very well thought out, and even, like, the, the nth band doing the corpse paint and spikes look, they've put a lot of time and effort into what all that looks like, however much it doesn't always pay off. And even, actually, to the other side of things, like, in in the modern era, we've had, obviously, kind of parallel to the rise of Cult of Fire, you have the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of image of death heaven getting absolutely huge like massive massive band who shed all the trappings of uh of kind of the 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 corpse paint the the kind of woodland kind of stuff but with them i'd argue death heaven's look is just as calculated as any other black metal band you look at their like recent promo pictures that one where they particularly look like a bunch of wankers um <laughs> I, I quite like death heaven's music there's a, there's a name isn't isn't meant in a particularly hateful way but they do look like that like they, they have this kind of very aloof bearing to them so it's still got the the black metal elitism and the, the kind of ceremony to it and i think that just has to be there to make the um to make the music sort of work or at least be performable live there needs to be something else to to sort of back up the incredible seriousness of this genre like like black metal sort of has to be serious as much as it's it can be fun i think there's gotta be 
a level of commitment by the band to really make it work. If it's all a complete joke, I I don't know that that quite comes off. Like, you can have fun with it, let's say Immortal do, but Immortals still take their world building extremely seriously as much as, you know, back in the day a bat would get a bit silly uh, in some of his his stage antics, etc. I'm getting kind of weirdly off topic here, but the thing I, the thing I want to stress is I just really love what Cult of Fire have done, like, trying to find uh, a new niche in black metal imagery that still still maintains that kind of ceremony, that over-the-topness, that kind of, for want of a better term, almost elitism of it, but, but does it without falling into the usual cliches. And there's probably a discussion to be had about a band from the Czech Republic borrowing this much from sort of Hindu mythology and uh, religious lore, but... For me, it, it does make extremely interesting subject matter and extremely interesting kind of a visual style. So anyway, to return to the the albums I wanted to speak about there, their most recent two albums, let's start with Moshka. Um, what's interesting, and this is true of both of them, I found them uh, more sleepy and subdued compared to the kind of fury of their debut two albums. They're... There's a lot of actually the mix of the Life, Sex and Death EP. They seem to have gone for that again, where everything about the mix seems a bit more subdued. Like, it just doesn't feel... There's not so much of this trebly kind of attack to everything. It's far more um, calm-sounding, despite, like, everything's still there. The drum performance is still really intense and over-the-top. The... The guitar work is still this very complex, progressive use of particularly f- extremely fast picking. Like something I haven't really harped on enough is the ridiculous like skill of Infernal Vlad's picking hand. That guy is an absolute machine. He can go for these huge, like fifteen minute long sets where he is just like you know playing multiple notes a second for the whole thing. Like, and just without ever a sign of tiring, like it, it, it is a ludicrous ability that I like. As someone who's attempted to play fast guitar like that, I just can't understand how you can keep that up for entire songs. Um, and interesting, actually, I didn't bring this up earlier, but Thomas Coroner, at some point early on in his uh, career, before the formation of Cult of Fire, briefly suffered an injury where he thought he wouldn't be able to keep playing some sort of muscle damage to his right leg and then that sort of went away and he's been able to return and become this you know touring musician for an incredibly fast band but it sort of highlights the the extremity like a lot of musicians in this genre put themselves through getting off topic from Oscar again it's almost as if I don't want to talk about it I don't know don't know what's going on here um Despite that softer approach, I love this. I'm still really riffy. Um, once again, we're into territory of I have no idea how to say the tracks. So, like, the third song particularly has these great kind of really hooky, like, just very rocking riffs to it. Um, and then the the fourth track, Ha Ha Madiv, um, has become, like, a sort of regular live song for them. And that that's, like... Both of those two are immensely kind of catchy, memorable, and in their place still quite heavy, but just lacking some of the brutal intensity of the first two albums. The opener to this album, the nine minute long track, the kind of the 
the real big piece of this is far more kind of meandering it isn't so memorable in exactly that way not a problem it's far more leans into like the atmospheric side of this band and that atmospheric stuff's kind of pushed to the to kind of an almost nonsensical place in the middle of the second track where we get a full-on breakdown of like keyboards and just like uh, like kind of hand percussion it's um very much fits with the very religious themes as so the front cover of Moshka is a, a kind of like a Hindu priest type figure with a, a necklace of skulls kind of highlighted by like a sort of bright kind of kind of sunscape behind him which is a clearly sort of still leaning deep into the kind of lyrical matter that I think influenced the previous album. The final track, Mosca, starts out very kind of melodic and kind of melancholic sounding before breaking into this kind of heavier black metal, but with that that kind of uh, Hindu folk influence there. At a point, um, there's a great interaction of like the kind of synthesized like sitar type sound, and then this sort of aforementioned hand percussion at the same time as the kind of more blasting drums, which is a technique both this band Def Karma have utilized every so often for it makes this really kind of interesting, kind of chaotic but also very rhythmic sound. Um, yeah, I really like it. It's it's it gives the songs a massive energy, even if they do make them a touch like hard to follow in places. So yeah, for its half-hour runtime, uh, Moshka's really kind of engaging and weird, uh, but still kind of melodic and catchy. It's just, I think the thing that took people longer to get around was it doesn't have a storming opener like the um, the previous two albums. It, it sort of, the opener's quite like the most meandering parts of the album, then the following four like five minute long tracks are are quite focused and well put together. So don't let that put you off. Um, and also that kind of more subdued mix to the album definitely, definitely made it a slower burn for a lot of listeners, I believe. <laughs>
I'd like to call out my own hypocrisy of that sentence I said about a minute ago. Um, it wasn't a slower burn for most listeners. It was a slower burn for me. I, I missed these two albums in 2020. I bought them when it came out because I was a fan of Cult of Fire. And both of them went over my head because they're quite subtle. And this is a, this is a problem in... In, in the kind of the world we live in, like in terms of uh, consumption of metal now, of a subtle album is a hard thing to sell because most of us, and I, I am probably more guilty so of this than than most people, judge an album by about halfway through. Like halfway through your first listen, you, you you're bombarded with so many albums. There's twenty interesting albums released every week that you pick and choose ones of interesting covers or ones with lineups that kind of, you know, have some interest to you. But unless there is a reason outside of the music you're hearing there, whether it's a band you already have some kind of dedication to or this you've heard something about this that really makes you want to put the time in, it is rare to, if an album isn't grabbing you within the opening 15 minutes, to to give up and never come back and I, I feel this sort of happened to me with these two because I say that that opening song was a bit more meandering the, the mix of it had that slightly sleep slightly more sleepy nature to it um I didn't spend enough time on it but it like Mushka is actually brilliant Nirvana the one I'll, I'll get to in a moment is is cool as well I I, I think Mushka is probably the stronger of, of the two but there is there's an interesting thing there if we don't have that thing you had like most people when they first listen to music where because you have a limited kind of uh allowance of the number of CDs or whatever you can buy you'd kind of get hold of something and play it a hundred times till you liked it <laughs> because you'd bought into that i mean that kind of all fell apart in the days of downloads, like the amount of friends I had as a kid who'd drive me up the wall because you'd mention, say, oh, I, uh, I quite like Opeth, and the next day they'd be like, oh, I've downloaded their entire discography. Like, cool. Do you know anything about them? Like, has has somehow having all eight albums, uh, like, influenced you? It's like, no, you listen to, like, half a song or four of them. Which, it, it, but that's exactly where the saturation point comes in, because we all try and consume everything like how do you take the time to understand a given album because it means you're writing off a lot of others i have no answer to this i i, I don't know where i'm going with this somewhat rambling at the end of the podcast though i do apologize get back on topic of the the most recent cult of fire album so released uh with Moscow. i think this is more or less a double album but it's um it's sort of released separately as two discs but they're 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 kind of very comparable so first interesting thing is with nirvana it follows the same kind of structure as moshko it's another half hour long album that is one almost 10 minute long song and then four five minute songs difference that is quite kind of striking about it is they're called buddha one through five which i assume is uh like assume is kind of leaning into a different um different kind of religious grouping and this is where my i am almost certainly completely ignorant so i will delve no further than that and just talk about the imagery and the music because i do not want to fall foul of not knowing my religions well enough um the cover is is this um in 
entirely black and white affair, but I think actually one of the the more interesting covers of their recent release is this kind of cool set of it's so it's like a, a figure of a like a, a meditating figure in the center of an image that he's surrounded by a circle that's surrounded by circles going outwards and then four further figures in the square which is surrounded by another square which is surrounded by a circle just surrounded by a circle and then each corner is taken up by by another image of uh, assumed like sort of different related things and it's all there's huge amounts of intricate detail it's it's just a really really beautiful cover and one that's definitely worth looking up on if you've got a bigger kind of picture version of it um also i don't know like I, I don't know how much i can hear it but there is bass credited on the album so vladimir is also credited with playing bass on this one so i kind of changed their sound there somewhat one thing that might uh somewhat kind of lead to that change in sound with these two albums is i believe they're working with someone different to do the recording um uh, peter Kovenda of uh Propath Studios in uh, in Czech Republic, with, who yeah recorded and mixed these these two albums. As I'm so fond of the cover, I should say it's uh, drawn by Victoria Polakupova, a uh, Russian uh, woman who's by uh, India based now um, and is uh, specialised in sacred Hindu and uh, Buddhist art artworks. So you know, very much leaning into that kind of. Uh, that kind of style. And actually, she's done done artwork for a few other metal bands, none of which that I'm particular fami particularly familiar with. I realise I've been talking around things and not really describing the music on Nirvana. So, with the the opener, uh, Buddha One, the the longer piece of the album, takes about four minutes of this very subdued build up with uh, moments of melodic guitar and a lot of keyboard before it breaks into more of the the kind of black metal sound. But the the black metal always feels um, less less intense than on other albums. There's um, the the drumming is still that like kind of frantic blast beats, but there there's something about them where they're not quite so in your face. I don't think they're quite as fast as actually even on the the previous album. Um, there's still great moments of like that tremolo pick guitar. The there's still that layering of kind of. Um, organ type keys over things and a lot of like more memorable moments but i think nirvana is the most the band has ever kind of stretched out into atmospheric territories and it's an odd one in that that sense because if you take any sort of individual section of it it does it still sounds heavy it still sounds like this kind of very fast very kind of calculated evil music but it just taken as a whole it's it's a real experience where it's it's one to like it's one to meditate on it's it's an album just to give your full attention and let it sort of take you somewhere but as i say if you say take the opening two minutes of buddha 2 it's is this really fast like lead guitar stuff over a kind of relatively repetitive blast beat but the the guitar keeps varying there's little kind of lead licks thrown in there for like a infinitesimally like kind of tiny moments of them but obviously in front of that plays so fast you can kind of have these slight derivations from a riff like that and yeah we still have devilish producing this really harsh like rasping scream over the top of it but he's quite kind of background for want of a better phrase in this this particular release it's all 
more geared towards the atmospheric. It's geared towards, I think, allowing you to, yeah, be taken somewhere by the music rather than really kind of analysing each individual moment of it. For me, I think a real highlight of the album is the final track, but a five, which again features that cool like dual percussion of the drumming and the, the the hand drums. There's this like random like lead melodies thrown in there. It all gets a bit more chaotic and involved. I think it's a, a part of the album where I really latched onto something cool happening. But um, the whole thing's really interesting. It is just as I say, it's the Probably the most subdued of their their releases in a way, oh, barring obviously uh, Life, Sex and Death, which was very, very kind of meditative in its own way. But yeah, I, I think that's all, all I've really got to say on on Nirvana. It's um, it's a great kind of counterpoint, or not even counterpoint. It's a great release to go along with Moshka. They 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 both show kind of a relatively different side of the band. There is. There's more progressiveness in the first album, and Nirvana is more atmospheric. Although it's all still pulling from the same influences. At no point in their discography, really, barring Life, Sex and Death, do they ever not sound like Call to Fire. All seven or so of their releases, they very much still have those core elements there. It's just they vary everything around them that make each release kind of interesting and different. So I think I'll basically bring it to a close there on Cult of Fire. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this as a dive into a kind of more obscure band focusing on on just a couple of albums rather than the usual hundreds I seem to do in recent episodes. Like, Let me know if this was of interest to you if you're a fan of the band um, and and if this has encouraged you to check them out. I'm not sure sort of always with these episodes focus on a single artist. I'm not sure if they would be of any interest to those who aren't already kind of in the know, but um, I wanted to cover them because I, I I really enjoy what they what they do with their sound, um, and I I think they are one of the more interesting voices in in modern black metal, and I I believe that's uh, that's starting to sort of come through, and they're beginning to be recognised for this. Interesting, actually, um, I, I forgot to mention in twenty twenty. Uh, they switched out vocalist. Um, the vocal duties for their most recent live stuff has been taken by Vocek Hulub, who um, kind of not a massive career before this. He's another Czech Republic-based um, vocalist who's fronted two bands, Naraka and uh, Sekhmet, ahead of ahead of this one. But um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see what effect he, he has on the sound. I mean, I've always with the the albums, I've always very much got the impression is Thomas Coroner and Infernal Vlad's band and Devilish is like you know the third member to it, but his voice was a huge part of their sound. So I'm not sure how that that will change things. But anyway, Cultifier, one of the more interesting voices in modern black metal, and someone I definitely wanted to to give some attention to. As I say, like those later albums, do try and take the time to. Uh, to get your head around them, because I definitely fell foul of that. Anyway, to stop myself rambling, um, if you want to get in touch about any of this, you can get us on any of the social media, Phil's Breakfast Metal at Facebook, at Breakfast Metal on Twitter, um, uh, we're on Instagram, Phil's Breakfast Metal, and you can get in touch uh, via email at philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com. If you'd be so kind to leave a review on iTunes, that, that'd be great. But anyway, yeah, uh, thanks a lot for listening. 